Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We're back again with uh, Bob Kappelman, uh, former Director of Legislative and Regulatory Affairs at the Jacksonville Electric Authority. He's got a BS in degree in science, bachelor of science degree uh, from Stetson University, a master's degree in environmental engineering from the University of Florida, specialist in atmospheric photochemistry, a registered professional engineer. And we're talking about the, the Green New Deal resolution. One of the things that, uh, well, one of the things that strikes me, we were talking about uh, we were talking about uh, the output of these various countries, the Paris Accords, and you provided some information which I thought was really kind of interesting, and that was these numbers for emissions, uh, uh, carbon emissions per thousand dollars of GDP, which was kind. Of, I know this is these are older data from 2014, but the United States had 324. Uh, kilograms of emissions per thousand dollars of GDP. China had twelve hundred and thirty-five dollars, and India had one thousand fifty-one dollars, and Russia had almost a thousand dollars of a thousand kilograms, I should say, of emissions per thousand dollars of GDP. So on that scale alone, we're we're not really even in the top. One, two, or three. Well, the number, a lot of it has to do with what products you're, you're putting out and also the efficiency of your electric system and, and so on. And uh, the Chinese uh, have older generating plants and so on that they continue to run. Uh, and when they get out of their economic life, they replace them with state-of-the-art power plants, which they use a lot of the U.S. technology that we're not able to use here. Uh, one thing very interesting, since I worked on some of the prototype uh, generation, uh, fluidized bed generation on you know, large scale, and also uh, the, uh, the supercritical, advanced supercritical units uh, that are about 25% more efficient than today's uh, electric generators but about probably 35 40% more efficient than the Chinese. Uh, one of the ways we would help the Chinese is allow them to change out their old coal plants with ultra-modern coal plants, which would then give them low-cost energy and also high efficiency, which would cut their greenhouse gases. 
Now, you would probably say, well, isn't that somewhat self-defeating if we're trying to increase the manufacturing in this country? Well, if you let them have the lowest cost, most efficient electricity, and we have a higher cost electricity, capitalism usually will cause the uh, production to go where it's the cheapest per unit. But right now, uh, they're not interested, and I don't really blame them, of shutting down power plants before their economic life, which is actually what this resolution proposes. You're going to move the energy economy faster than you can recoup your investment. And that's not just the electric companies, which will pass on the cost, which is normal. All the manufacturing will pass on the cost. And if your vehicle is one of those that's no longer allowed to be on the road and you still owe the bank for that car, uh, you'll be stuck there too. Bob Kappelman, I would like to go back to a little bit earlier in the discussion about the Paris Accords. Uh, obviously, this is a cause celebre for, uh, for people right now, uh, people who believe in, in the, the, that man is causing climate change. And they're pretty much invested in this group of agreements that we have pulled out. And I think uh, that's worth discussing uh, what did they? What did those accords actually promise, or that we would have to do? And how did that compare with some of the other countries in those accords? Well, in the uh, the basic requirements for the U.S. are not unlike what's in the the resolution here. It's to get your carbon dioxide down by approximately thirty uh, percent uh, by twenty thirty. And then you're going to get, uh, in that particular case, it was probably on a 50% uh, venture reduction. The other countries, uh, China, India, uh, Russia, probably I think Brazil maybe, uh, were given uh, a lead way to not get started till about 2030, 2035. <clears throat> and at that point, they were uh, committed to level off. So the emissions could grow and then they would stabilize, and then they would start reducing. No hard numbers that I'm aware of in that. So you end up with a kind of a one-sided deal uh, in a country where already we're having trouble uh, competing uh, because of the, the different trade requirements, which most people are aware of the fact that Chinese uh, – Chinese have a special trade relation. They're treated as a developing country, and that gives them special uh, requirements or special um, dispensation in the trade agreements, uh, which some politicians, including the president, are saying, well, wait a minute. If you've got the second largest economy, are you really just a poor developing country or are you the second most powerful industrial force in the world? Uh, maybe you ought to be treated like an equal. So if I remember again, and all of these earlier, when we go back through all of this uh, climate change, global warming, global cooling, whatever, uh, it all goes back to uh, some a series of science, so-called scientific uh, studies that were done a number of years ago. Probably, to my recollection, something that kind of started the ball rolling 
from a so-called science point of view was the the hockey stick graph, which, to my recollection, is really filled with inaccuracies, data that was not really properly used, and in fact, data that is now missing. Is that and not reproducible? Is, yeah, is this that, is uh, Doctor Mann's uh, hockey stick, and he used some statistical methods to create the graph that he wanted to show. Uh, a lot of the uh, periods where you talked about uh, sh- uh, short periods of warming, cooling, uh, the medieval uh, warming period, uh, you know, where the Renaissance warming period, uh, the Roman warming period, uh, those things were basically left out of the graph. In other words, instead of being uh, uh, like an os- oscilloscope graph, it became a straight line. And then you take the last a couple of years and show the rise and then you get your hockey stick. Now he used statistical methodology uh, incorrectly, or you could argue that he used it correctly to smooth out his curve, but intellectually not honest because you're giving the impression that uh, again, this idea a lot of people have is climate changes just so gently. There are no fast periods of cooling, no fast periods of warming up, and that's just geologically incorrect. It does happen rapidly. And again, uh, when we were talking earlier, I said probably the only thing in that resolution that made any sense at all was a very small phrase saying that we need to spend some money on adaptation. Uh, And simply because if Mother Nature decides to speed up cooling or speed up warming, uh, really all you can do is adapt. Uh, Short of that, uh, this thing promises a bunch. And, you know, we've gotten through the, uh, the reason why we have to do it, which we have kind of showed is exaggerated uh, to an extreme um, what we need to do, which is basically eliminate carbon dioxide, uh, human carbon dioxide. Uh, but then what it promises to give us, again, uh, is beyond the scope of reality. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will return after this quick break. Before we leave, or before we leave the subject of prior research, and, and I think this is really important, um, you and I were brought up in an age where there was uh, there were principles involved in science. The scientific method was ingrained in us early in life, and I know through all of my education, I'm not talking college, not even. But way before college, when you did experiments, there were certain rules on which your studies had to be based. And that was the fact that you, you honestly looked at your data and you assessed your data honestly. And then you, rece- then you went and had conclusions from the data regardless of what your initial hypothesis. Your, the whole purpose of experimentation was to prove or disprove a hypothesis. But we now have an entire 
climate change religion that is based upon a hypothesis that was not a hypothesis but an agenda. And the scientific studies that were done were done in such a way to prove the agenda. How about the data from the Anglian observatories that was faked and things like that? And, and again, the hockey stick uh, graph. You and I know that there was a medieval warm period, and I remember seeing graphs of that where the medieval warm period was warmer than, than today or even you know, warmer than today even. Yeah, well, that's, you know, you, selective use of science uh, we we actually call this a, a bunch of my colleagues and I. Uh, we've gotten what we call outcome based science, outcome based economics, and it's basically this is what I want to do. This is what I think is good. Now, let me go ahead and get a scientist or an economist to tell me what I want to do is the right thing to do. And you you basically have to walk away from the scientific method to do this because what you then do is cherry pick your data you get your assumptions set to give you the the answer that you want to get and we see this happening you know more and more uh in the case of uh you know climate change there are a lot of economic drivers for this uh there's also some social Drivers, because if you control the means of production, you control the energy production, basically you control society. And there is a, an element in there, some people thinking that for the good of the world, they know best that an elite you know, can run the world. Uh, there are some people that are not really thinking about what's best for the world. They're thinking about power, and power tends to corrupt. Absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. So you have to look at those things. Not to mention money. Money is, uh, what is that? The root of all evil? evil. Absolutely. And in this case, that certainly would be the That would be what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, greed and lust for power by a small group of arrogant elite people who believe that they should control Earth. It really goes back to the medieval times when kings and queens and dukes and duchesses ruled everything. They owned everything, and therefore they ruled everybody. Yeah. It, was, it was a breakthrough for humanity when our founders wrote a constitution that said, no, there is no kings and queens here. And each individual is a sovereign himself, individual freedom. And that's what we were given 230 years ago. And this, all of this, is an assault on individual freedom, on property rights, which is the basis of individual freedom. Well, you know, part of the thing that's so important is people being able to critically think. And that's one of the reasons going through this document makes sense because there are people out there that say, well, this doesn't seem to add up. Um, A lot of promises made that cannot be kept, but to have the promises, for instance, everyone has a, a certain income, 
that's uh, you know a a wonderful wage, whether you can work, whether you want to work, etc. Uh, there are some opponents of this document that tend to exaggerate the provisions. I don't think that is helpful because then you can be attacked and said, well, you're exaggerating. It doesn't really say that. So what we're trying to do is stay critically on what it actually does say. This is Dr. Dan, and we're back with Robert Kappelman, uh, the Director of Legislative and Regulatory Affairs at the Jacksonville Electric Authority. Uh, He has an understanding of the economic impacts of new energy and environmental legislative and regulatory initiatives that he was able to pass on to his clients. Uh, He is a professional engineer, graduate research in atmospheric photochemistry, a master's degree uh, in engineering from the University of Florida. Uh, And we're discussing the Green New Deal. Uh, And before we get into that, we're going to get back for a moment to the the Paris Accords, which is kind of an earlier version of the Green New Deal. Uh, we are now, uh, fortunately, we, uh, President Trump has brought us out of the, uh, the Paris Accords. Um, but I, what I want to talk about is uh, when it comes to the Paris Accords, uh, they were based on kind of phony science, weren't they? Well, they were based on some assumptions that if you implemented it, you would get a significant change in the human-caused, you know, climate change. And the actual the uh, there was something in the U.S. that the Supreme Court had uh, overturned called the Clean Power Plan uh, with the Obama administration, and it basically was our part of the Paris Accord. And it was looking for a 30% uh, you know, reduction in CO2 by 2030 and then about a 50% reduction by 2050. Now, the Green New Deal is looking for a 100% reduction by 2050. So it's a little bit more ambitious than the uh, Paris Accord, uh, to say the least. But when the scientists uh, that were kind of suspicious about this ran the computer models, they found out if they completely implemented the clean power plan, that it would make about one hundredth of a degree difference, you know, in the uh, the temperature rise in uh, uh, 2100. And the related rise of sea level was also as minuscule. So if you t- kind of look at that and say, well, if, what if everyone did the, the Paris we all got it down by 50% by 2050. And let's say that the U.S. was 20% of the CO2 emissions. It's only 14%, but let's say it's 22. Then we should get five times as much benefit. So instead of a hundredth of a degree improvement, we would get five hundredths, five times as much. But that would still be 005 degrees and a related sea level rise change this is based on the the models so you basically we're going to turn the whole economy upside down to get that minuscule rise and i know that uh, in testimony by uh, 
the EPA administrator at the time, she admitted it really didn't do anything, but it would inspire the rest of the world to do something. But even that, even if you could get the rest of the world to buy in, the the change that you would have based on the UN's own models are minuscule, which kind of tells you that science is telling you this is a massive momentum that man can hardly control. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything. 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 Everything going to be all right this morning. Peace.